That's like starting off with a home run, you know. I love it. So, as we continue our series on the heart of the matter, today we're going to focus on the mustard seed. And, and if, you're, if you've been wondering, what they stick in my bulletin today? It's a mustard seed. I wanted everybody to have one of those. And, and so don't eat it, okay, because they're actually kind of oily and a little bit peppery, I'm told. So don't eat the mustard seed. I don't even know if you plant it, if something will grow, because we got ours from the spice aisle at the grocery store, not from the farmer's market seed aisle. So, uh, but I do want you to hold on to that. And I want you to, to maybe put that in your Bible or, or put that somewhere at work where, where you'll just have that later to, to just kind of remind you of today and remind you of the importance of a mustard seed. As I was preparing for this sermon, I found this letter on the internet and it was simply titled, Dear Friend. The author is unknown, but I wanted to open with it today because I thought, wow, this really kind of encapsulates what this is all about. And it goes like this. Dear friend, the church began as a mustard seed. Likewise, our growth in the spiritual life begins small. But if we nurture its growth, it will soon grow to great proportions, just as the mustard seed grows into the greatest of all herbs. All things generally start out small. It is only with time and effort that they become large. In the world of instant gratification that we live in, this is often frustrating to us. But the evidence all around us shows that things that grow too fast are often weak, even though they may appear to be large. The strong tree is one that grows slowly for a long time. A rapid growth in nature often points to a weakened core. You see, a melon grows in one season. You see those big pumpkins that grow to like 500 pounds in one season or a big giant 53-pound watermelon from Dave Youngin's garden. Uh, They grow in one season. But you know what? An oak takes many years to grow. And this is often true in our spiritual lives as well. Those who appear to have made great strides quickly are, are often very weak inside. And we must slowly but surely keep plodding away until we reach the heights of heaven. See, often the giants in faith are strong and they're able to resist temptation uh, with relative ease because they've been hardened. They've had many attacks. They fall and, and, and they're, they're strong in their faith because they stand back up and they're on, they're on a firm foundation. And they, and they rise up again even when they stumble. But those who are weak often fall just like babies. They try to walk, they fall. Sometimes they fall terribly and have a, have a difficult time rising up again. Sometimes it appears that there are those who are truly large and strong in the faith. And we think, wow, what a, what a great person of, of God or what a strong person. And it's very shocking when all of a sudden they fall. And we wonder, how could this happen? It's as if the mighty oak in the forest just fell over one day for no apparent reason. But if we examine the core of such an oak, we find that that core was soft and insect ridden. And the mighty oak was only just the shell of an oak tree. This too often the case, or excuse me, this too is often the case with so many who outwardly appear to be very good people, even saintly. It's not until after they fall that it becomes obvious they didn't have a solid core. They were hollow. They talked about religion, but their hearts and their souls were interested in other things. I thought, wow. That's a strong letter. But as we talk about the mustard seed today, keep in mind, there's nothing small when it concerns the eternal life of our souls. The smallest of things 
Can you even see that? That mustard seed? It's there. There it goes. It's bouncing. The smallest of things have the greatest potential for either evil or good. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can come here, that we can listen to your word. I thank you that we can, we can praise you in song, that we can remember the sacrifice of your son. Lord, I pray today that as we hear your word, that you'll open our hearts. I pray that we won't be distracted um, by anything that's going on in our lives personally or professionally or any other way. I pray that simply we'll honor you and we'll hear your word so we can put it into practice. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Maybe you've heard some of these sayings. Big things come in small packages. Or there's a, there's a saying from an essay by D. Everett in 1797. It says, Large streams from little fountains flow. Tall oaks from little acorns grow. I like Albert Einstein. He's got a few theories on small. And I've written them down. One thing he says is, Small is the number of people who see with their eyes and think with their minds. Hmm. He also said anyone who doesn't take truth seriously in small matters cannot be trusted in large ones either. But one of my favorite small quotes is actually from Mark Twain. And he says, many a small thing has been made large by the right kind of advertising. (laughs) There you go. But you know what? No one has really captured the essence of small things being great or least of these becoming awesome as God has. I mean, when you think about from the very beginning, he took that which was void and he filled it with life and wonder beyond our wildest dreams. We are still discovering new things about the universe that he created, that he called forth out of nothing. Who else but God could take a mighty army like Gideon's? Gideon had an army of 32,000 men. And he was going to go and he was going to show those Midianites who was boss. And he was going to teach them a lesson. And God, through a series of events, brought that army down to what I would call a... I had to write it down because I didn't want to mess it up. He brought this army down to a easily defeatable by the world standard 300 men. And he used those 300 men to defeat the Midianites, and they never drew a sword. Again, our God took a man like Moses, and he used him to battle Pharaoh and lead the Israelites through the desert to the edge of the Promised Land, walking them not on water, but right through the middle of the Red Sea by simply raising his staff. You see, our God uses many of the least of these for his glory. Throughout history, God has used small things and small ways that just went against the laws of nature and against the laws of men. He still does it today. Many times in ministry, I've seen God move in the lives of his people in some of the most amazing ways. I've seen it where folks would start out going, there's no way I'm teaching junior high Sunday school class. And now you can't drag them out of a junior high Sunday school class. They're like, I just love those kids. Everybody else is like, why? (laughs) Because junior hires are awesome. That's why. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> also you know growing up you see you see god do things for people I've, I've been in ministry for like 17 years and i've seen people where they've come in they say you know what i lost my job this week but it's okay i'm writing my full tithe check because god's going to provide i'm not sure how 
Or you hear somebody go, you know what, I was really moved by what you said, Frank, so I'm writing a check for $20,000 for the new parking lot. Yeah, I don't know how it's not going to bounce, but you know. (laughs) But God takes what seems by the world to be small and infinite, and he makes great things out of it. There are many testimonies, and some of you have probably lived some of these own examples in your spiritual life. Because when you have faith, you will do things that other people think is just impossible. Understand this, though. Having faith doesn't mean that you don't move. You don't just get to sit here and go, well, I have faith. I have faith. I knew a guy once, true story, and he kept saying, looking for a job, God's going to provide it. I said, you gone to any interviews? Not yet. <laughs> okay. What are you looking to do? Well, I'm going to find a job. Where? Seriously, this guy for three weeks kept saying to me, God's going to provide for my family, but he never went to an interview. He never filled out an application. He had lots of faith that God was going to provide a job for him, but he wouldn't move. Needless to say, it was, wasn't until he went out and did some of those things that he got a job. I guess he was just going to have one fall out of the sky. I'm not sure what his plan was, but he had faith. He just didn't have action. And faith, even the smallest of faith, still requires obedience from us. Okay? And, and it requires action. You look at Esther. She gets word from, from Uncle Mordecai. Hey, there's, there's bad things going to happen to our people. And you're married to the king. You can stop that. Oh, I can't just approach the king. It's against the law. Esther had faith, though. And, and she had enough faith that she made a plan. She took action. And she stepped out. And she was obedient. And we have to do the same thing. We have to step out and we have to be obedient. And when we do that, we need to do it with faith. Now, I want to look at our parable for today. And it's quite simply, it's just two verses. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Matthew 13, 31 through 32, verse 31 says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the highest, it is the largest garden plant and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. You see, the mustard seed, as you know, is tiny. You've got one right there in your lap. It has humble beginnings, yet it grows to a massive tree. It's said to be 10 feet high with branches that that the birds can perch and nest in them. You see, the point of this parable is simply this. The tiny mustard seed grows into a large bush, grows into a tree, if you will, that the kingdom of God, even with a small beginning in a manger, it would prosper and prevail over all other kingdoms. Something unique about the um, mustard seed and about this parable when, when you read these words, these verses, this is actually a, um, it's in keeping with Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream back in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 31 through 45. Write that down so you can check it out later. 
But Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel 2, verse 31 through 45. And what he says is this. You may, not, you may be aware of this, you may not, but, but Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he wants it to be interpreted. And so he calls all the smart people, and he says, hey, interpret my dream. And they say, well, if you tell us your dream, we'll interpret it. He says, nope, I'm going to have you all killed. And Daniel speaks up, and he says, hold on, let me talk to the king. So he goes to the king. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar. He interprets the dream. And then this is what he tells him. He gets right down to the heart of it and he goes, The stone not cut by human hands struck the image down and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. See, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about a big image and it had different layers of different things and he wanted to know what it meant. And here's what Daniel said. The stone not cut by human hands struck down the image and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You see, in the same way, God's kingdom was destined to conquer all other kingdoms. The kingdom of God may seem by the world that it started out small. Because when we look at the history of the world, the world has tried repeatedly to destroy God's kingdom. Leaders like Nero and many others have openly declared war on the kingdom of God, so to speak, thinking that if they could crush just one more person, one more believer, that it would fall. The problem is that these people and their mindset, it was that the kingdom, they just saw it as insignificant. They saw the kingdom of God in the form of individuals. Here's the thing. The reality is God's kingdom is universal. That's a big, big mustard tree. It's just a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like. The reality is God's kingdom is universal. When we hear that one of our brothers or sisters has been persecuted or punished for their faith, we're there for them whether it's in prayer, whether, whether it's in encouragement, whether we're able to come alongside them at a time of need or, or something horrible has happened. Uh, throughout the last two years, we've been praying and following Asia Bibi, who's in India right now. Um, she's being persecuted because she believes in Jesus Christ and she doesn't back down. It's just one person that we pray for. But, but it's because the kingdom of God is universal. Whatever it is, we pray about it. We encourage them, letters and stuff like that. What the enemy seems to forget is that a cord of strand, a, a strand of many cords is not easily broken. And when you feel like you're the only one who's doing the right thing, or you're the only one who's standing up for Jesus, or you seem to be getting persecuted for what you believe, when the world around you has got you feeling like an insignificant little mustard seed, remember that you are part of a plant that is universal. Remember that you are part of a plant You're part of something that spreads its branches, that covers, that protects. That's what the kingdom of God does. It offers shelter. You are part of an eternal network that makes the internet and all of its vastness seem insignificant in compare. More importantly, when you're feeling small like this mustard seed, remember that you are part of something that the gates of Hades will not prevail over. Do you remember that? You remember when that took place? Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. We call it Peter's confession of Christ. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. 
the amazing thing here. He goes on to tell him. Uh, he says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Folks, we are a part of that. With our little bit of mustard seed faith, we are a part of the kingdom that will not be overthrown, not now or not ever. God's kingdom is universal. We are so much more than just a church of a hundred or so people. We have Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are praying for us, who are worshiping alongside of us, and we are connected through the promise. We are connected through that confessional promise we just heard about. We're also connected through the promise that God had given to Abraham. He told Abraham he would be the father of many nations. The kingdom of God has withstood all of the persecution and it still stands and it still grows because faithful men and women of God have come before us. Now, they've counted the cost and they found that following Christ was more important and that it was worth the cost and it was more than anything the world had to offer. Here's the other part. The kingdom of God will continue to withstand the persecutions of the world because faithful men and women will continue to rise up And count the cost. And in spite of our own inadequacies, our own shortcomings, when we allow ourselves to be vessels filled up and poured out by God, wherever He wants us, whenever we think our faith isn't big enough, we remember the mustard seed. We remember those who have gone before us. We can find their examples in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Go ahead and turn there, because I'm going to go through that whole chapter. And I just want to share, and I want to bring these out to the front. I want you to think about some of these things because a lot of these folks seem to be somewhat insignificant in, in the life or in the world as we know it. There's a neat wrap-up at the end of Hebrews and it's one of the things that I take courage and, and encouragement from when I read it. Starting in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings and by faith, still he still speaks even though he is dead. We move on. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen in in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, or Abram, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward... To the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. 
And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice who had received the promises. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. You see, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, when Joseph, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Verse 26 says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people who passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell. After the people marched around them for seven days, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of a sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Verse 36, some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Verse 40 is kind of chilling to me. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them had received what had been promised. Only together with us 
Would they be made perfect? Let's not let them down. The kingdom of heaven is spread out and we're a part of it. And one day when, when we're all together, they'll be made perfect. Jesus uses the mustard seed in another way also. He says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, this is a great story. He just finishes healing a demon-possessed boy. And, and the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, why couldn't we heal him? Why couldn't we drive out the demon? Jesus replied in verse 20, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith, faith as a small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, we can take this literally, but the implication here is that you can do seemingly impossible things when you have faith. And faith requires obedience and action. You see, the disciples, they were firsthand witnesses to all of the amazing things that Jesus had done. And they still seem to forget the little things. I think in this instance, I think they knew they could cast out demons. I think they knew that they could heal people. But I think for some reason, they were afraid. Kind of like when, when Peter saw the wind and rain when he was walking on water towards Jesus and he got scared and he sank. See, because I think like the disciples, we often try to mix in what we have to make a blessing. The disciples are like, why couldn't we heal this man? You're trying it on your own, guys. You, you weren't using your faith. You were trying to use your own skills. You see, it's not about what we can add to what God is doing. It's about what God has already given to us. And we just have to use those things. I heard once that the mustard seed is the only seed that cannot be changed or altered or reproduced by man. There, there are different types of mustard seed. They grow different kinds, but you can't mix them. You can't cross them. You can't splice them and put them together with something else uh, and grow anything other than a mustard plant. I thought that's interesting because, you know, Jesus tells us two parables about a mustard seed. And in both parables, at the heart of the matter, it's all about what God has already provided. It's all about what God has already provided. He's one of the smallest seeds that can't be altered to explain to us about the kingdom of heaven, which also cannot be altered by men. Now, make no mistake, the kingdom of heaven will move forward with or without you. Okay? Because like I said, it's not by, by your power, by my power, that God's going to be glorified. It's what he adds to us. But the thing is, small acts of faith can impact our community. Small acts of faith can turn our world upside down for Jesus Christ. Also, at the heart of the matter, with these two parables, I want to remind you that all we need is a little faith. What are you doing in your life right now that requires you to have faith? And maybe you're thinking, oh, I don't have enough for that. What are you doing in your life that requires just a little bit of faith? Yeah. History's greatest movement had its beginning at the manger in Bethlehem. And you know what? The proud and busy Roman world, they didn't take notice of the day when Jesus was born. Still less did they care when he died. He was just a carpenter of Nazareth, after all. And apparently, to them, he was no more than that. Certainly, in outward appearance, Jesus looked probably less than the least of all seeds. 
I mean, his followers were counted by the dozens, not thousands. He was not a ruler. He didn't have an army. He's had a a few people. And yet, from only a handful of disciples, and in spite of their, their leader's death on a cross, just a handful, there sprang into existence the universal church of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad it did. And that is why we should learn well the, the lesson of the grain of mustard seed. A thing may be very small, and it may begin very small, almost without hope. But in the end, it will succeed because God is behind it. Do you think the first century disciples ever dreamed of the effect their faith would have on the world? Their faith that, that really began unnoticed in, in homes, in rooms, in, out in the woods, in the deserts. Like a tiny mustard seed. But nevertheless, it's gone around the world. I pray that your faith will grow slow and steady and strong on the foundations of Jesus Christ. Don't get to a place in life where you realize you're just the shell of an oak that's eaten up by the world, that gets infected with the world and rots from the inside out. Don't be that tree. Make your choice. Will you have faith like a mustard seed? And move mountains? What does that look like for you? Do you need prayer? Are you looking for some accountability? The elders are here. Maybe you need repentance and rededication. Maybe it's time for you to start new with the waters of baptism, confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I don't know, maybe you're ready to partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church and place membership and work with us so that we can impact this community and our world for Jesus Christ, so we can shine and honor God. Whatever your decision is, would you come? Stand with us. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And if you have a decision, don't just stand there. Let your faith start today. If you're not sure, let's make it happen. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for examples from your word. I thank you, Lord, that what would seem to be a small group of people started an, an amazing movement of your love that's gone worldwide. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and I pray, Lord, that we will grow slowly and steadily and firm on that foundation. It will not be like the shell of an oak that's rotted, but will be strong and tall, pointing to you always. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.